Buongiorno, and welcome to the Global Podcast, where we keep you up to date on the latest trends and insights on diplomacy in international development. I'm your host, Jesu Antonio Baez, Director of Pax Tecum Global Consultancy, based here in London, which produces this series. In this podcast, I sit down with thought leaders, diplomats, and experts on the field, as well as provide analysis from our own team at Pax to talk more about the need for diplomacy in international development in order to foster political will around greater social impact and good. So grab your headphones and let's get on with the show. On today's episode of The Global Podcast, we're discussing investment opportunities within the GCC, also known as the Gulf Corporation Council, compromising of Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Qatar, Kuwait, Bahrain, and Oman. The GCC has been a real buzz as of late for businesses, with cities such as Abu Dhabi and Dubai, to the potential of innovation such as the pet project of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman in the north of his country of Saudi Arabia, to the potential of four football glory with Qatar hosting the upcoming World Cup. The GCC has sparked both intrigue and interest, particularly for even investors. But while the GCC may be also a Shangri-La for opportunity, a recent report from the Milken Institute highlights serious deficiencies that exist in policies for ensuring the protection of investors in addition to transparency regarding quality and quantity of information available. What does that mean? That's why we're here today. Joining us to discuss this is Dr. Claude Lopez, who is the head of research department at Milken Institute. There, Dr. Lopez leads data-driven efforts aimed at influencing global policy issues on international financial health and regional economics. She is an active member of the T20 Task Force on International Financial Architecture for Stability and Development and a contributor to the W20, or Women20, two advisory committees to the G20. Before joining the Institute, Dr. Lopez headed multiple research teams at Banque de France, the nation's central bank, and was professor of economics at the University of Cincinnati. She has an MS in econometrics from Toulouse School of Economics and a PhD in economics from the University of Houston. And it is an absolute pleasure to welcome you, Dr. Lopez, to the Global Podcast. Thank you, Jesus. I'm very happy to, to be here. All right. So uh, speaking about the GCC, let's let's get talking about that investment that has been receiving over the years. Before we get cracking in regards to the particular deficiencies that were noted, particularly in that um, recent report from the Milk Institute, I just wanted to talk about what has been the common trend on investment within the region and why hasn't been really whetting the appetite for so many investors to go to the GCC. So... If you look at the common trend, I mean, one thing which is striking for the GCC countries is that even though there is more and more FDI and more and more investment, it's mostly from the GCC themselves. And so it's very uh, regionally skewed. Number one. Number two, uh, you also look at the type of investment in the industry. And what you see is even though uh, it appears to be 
uh, there is some uh, diversification. Actually, it's not clear. There is more and more products that are being uh, created, but they all are in industries that are extremely closely related to um, the oil uh, industry itself. And so uh, the trend hasn't been catching up with uh, what we know the region wants, which is ultimately to really uh, move away uh, from this all-driven type of economy to a more diversified, let's say, a more normal um, type of, of economy. And that's where the Global Opportunity Index kick in because the goal to, to, to really being able to facilitate such a diversification, they also need to be able to attract international investment. And here, whenever we're talking about international investment, we're talking about outside of the GCC countries. Interesting in that aspect. And naturally, of course, diversifying is really going to be able to allow it to be sustainable with an economic aspect. And then if one were to consider as well to the reason why one would want to diversify, given, let's say, with the oil and the harms it can particularly have with, with climate change. And I'm understanding that the GCC nations are also very much aware of that and have a desire to change. Mm -hmm. So it, it clearly makes sense in that aspect. But mm -hmm. it, Going going into this notion again of the GCC and really becoming so gung-ho, as one would say, on wrapping up investments in the region, mm -hmm. as someone as myself who works frequently within the Gulf, in fact, I just recently came back from Dubai, there really is a sense of excitement for what is happening. I mean, you see multiple aspects of investment, whether it's in Oman, whether it's in Dubai itself with the expo happening this year, whether it's in Qatar and, of course, Saudi Arabia increasingly. Um, but your report notices serious uh, deficiencies within that that are present when it comes to investment in the Gulf, despite the ramp up coming up. So could we talk about these findings in, in particular? Yes. Yeah, so first of all, I don't think those are deficiencies. Uh, we know that the GCC countries are economies are, that are in transition, as you just said. I mean, moving from one mod economic model to another one. And so... It's totally, totally normal during those transition period to have some area of strength and area where they need to be more work to be done. Uh, I also very much agree that we, we, we see that the region is attracting a lot of interesting investment and especially uh, whenever it comes to technology because um, geographically speaking is extremely well located between Asia and Africa. So if you're looking at uh, projecting the region in the future, potentially it could be very much an economic hub, um, communication hub, so a technological hub. And those countries which are a very interesting uh, set of countries because on one hand they're among the wealthiest on earth because of the oil but on the other hand there is a lot of uh, infrastructures that need to be developed uh, to put them in terms of economic development at the level of their um, let's say financial uh, wealth and that where with the global opportunity index we try to clarify that view and the way we do that is we try to look at the attractiveness of a country based on five different dimensions the first one is econ uh, the business perception which is based on uh, world bank and other data that really 
the exit and implicit cost associated with business operation. So that's number one, because to be able to attract businesses, you need to make sure that opening a business is actually um, uh, cost effective and not too much time consuming. Then there is financial service. Whenever you're in a place or in a country, you want to know whether or not you have access to a diversified set of financial services. And that's quite important for international investors. Uh, the third dimension is institutional framework or robust and resilient and independent this uh, framework is, which is extremely important for international investors because that's what uh, will end up building uh, the notion of trust, trust into the system. And that also leads to the fourth dimension, which is international standard and policy. Uh, in other words, how that local infrastructure can be plugged into the global system. And that dimension becomes more and more important as we saw after the financial crisis, this new set of regulation, global regulation that allowed to really monitor risk makes that linkage extremely important. That means ability for national international investors to assess the amount of risk that exists in uh, wherever that uh, investment um, occur. And of course, the fifth dimension is just looking at um, economic fundamental, which is uh, quite standard, but of course, we want to know if uh, an economy is um, healthy, uh, if its macroeconomic performance is uh, um, at the right level, but also the quality and the structure of uh, the labor force as well as its health or its use because we very much are forward looking with looking at investment of today that could have an impact uh, of uh, uh, that could have an impact tomorrow and and um, and so the global opportunity index has this very objective uh, way of assessing the uh, the performance of a country but whenever it comes to gcc as i discussed earlier there is a contrast between their between their level of income and their level of uh, economic development and so as an international investors first thing that they need to realize is what is a peer group that they should be comparing those countries with uh, whenever they want to decide how much risk they're willing to take is it in line with a high income country such as the us uh, or some of the European countries, or is it something which is a little bit lower, which is part of those middle income country? And that what we end up seeing is based on um, you know, different assessment, we realize that a fair way of assessing the performance of the GCC country is very much to compare them to upper middle income uh, countries. And that naturally allows us to identify where the GCC country is comparing quite well compared uh, uh, whenever we are comparing to their peers. And so we see that, well, in terms of business perception, they're doing relatively well. Uh, financial services also is actually uh, doing quite well. But the places where they could be improving, and that's what you, you were uh, discussing as being challenges, are protecting investors. Uh, which very much includes this notion of uh, having a framework that 
allow for a recovery and resolution process that is well established. Uh, in other words, for any international investors, it's quite important to know that they will be able to withdraw their investment if there were issues and they can do that in an organized manner. And that also uh, this protection of investors also talk about investors' rights. I mean, both are combined. Uh, then we also identify uh, the notion of transparency. It's not about sharing data. And I think Aramco was a good example, is sharing the data that international investors expect. And those expectations are very much based on those international regulatory framework where there is a lot of information that they need to gather to be able to identify the quality of the investment, but also the amount of risk that they are willing to take and how that will impact you know, their overall business. And finally, two other dimensions that, of course, could be um, um, improved, but from a, a longer time horizon, one is the, the, the workforce talent. I think it's a well-acknowledged challenge of the region, which is they have all that youth, but that youth need to be trained to be able to catch up the train uh, that um, started a few years back when all that region decided to embrace the digitalization of the economy, uh, really focusing on technology and things like that, to be able to attract um, um, uh, investors in technology, you also need to be able to show them that locally you have the labor force that will be able to accommodate them. And lastly, economic openness, but that also something that is more down the line. Um, the more you want to be uh, open in terms of investment, the, the more you need to be open in terms of um, structured trade agreement um, and, and, and limitation of tariff and things like that. Interesting, particularly when you indicate the fact about the youth population and, and, and that it's quite large in the GCC area. And I even know from my own experience that that has been a challenge of of many within the GCC to try to address the issue, given the fact that the majority of those uh, of youths within the GCC area already, according to statistics, expect that once they graduate from university to have a job within the civil service, within the government sector, where the government is trying to say, no, create your own job, go into private sector, go into another business. So clearly attracting attracting the investment that can lead towards that business creation uh, for that youth would be would be ideal. But as you've indicated, if, if the labor force is in there, if the skill set is in there locally, that's the challenge. So it's a bit of a double whammy for the GCC area in that aspect. Uh, but I want to go back to that notion about transparency measures. What steps then should governments in the GCC take in order to ensure more transparent measures are being made in their engagement with investors and to ensure that they take action upon these these particular uh, discrepancies or, 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 or issues in which or one can say room to improve on, to put mm -hmm. it on a, different, on a different note? I think the best way to, to, to go would be to really uh, follow the international norms in terms of uh, disclosure of information um, and, and, and that also go with digitalization of the information but that means they need to be a real desire of privatization of uh, the economy and that's really what we're talking about here and so that means whenever you really to privatize you're really willing to be transparent at the fullest and the fullest only mean at what is required by those international standards. Uh, I do believe that it's maybe a different way of doing business and that's ex exactly why you see that most of the investment so far has been a local one just because there is a local knowledge 
how to do business. But whenever you want to expand the pool of investors, it's very important, and it, uh, internationally, it's very important to meet those international standards. So then those investors are willing to take risk because they know how to measure it, they know how to recognize it, they know how to account for it. And so they know whenever they will have to um, um, do whatever reporting they have to do on a yearly basis, they know how to deal with that in their overall business. So really meeting the international standard is uh, uh, the easiest way to reassure and attract uh, investment, I would say. But out of curiosity, though, would the international standard, would it need to be tailored to the GCC dynamics or can that standard be applied accordingly to the GCC without any issues where, where Riyadh and Dubai and Muscat can easily apply it accordingly without any necessarily need for tailoring? Well, if they were to be tailoring of international standards, they would not be international standard, right? <laughs> so <true. laughs> I think so. That's a, so, um, but uh, what you're talking about is, is should there be a core and then maybe some flexibility around the corners? It's not clear to me. I mean, if you really want to play the international game, you just need to be clear that you want to play the game. However, I understand that during the transition, there need to be a clear understanding of what are the rules. And I... Uh, very much understand and that's one of the main issues uh, whenever you look at Basel 3 and all those macroprudential, many of the countries that were just non-European and non-US were requesting from some type of roadmap, you know, what should we do? What are the steps to follow so then we can meet the standards? So it's not often um, uh, unwillingness to meet the standards, is to really understand which should be the first step especially whenever that the first time that such a transition occurs, it's, it's very important to have help and to understand uh, which information are extremely important to be shared and which one are more of a luxury. But no, I don't think tailorization would be even in the benefit of the GCC country because they're extremely serious about playing that game. It has to be just done properly, plus they're really um, gifted with digitalization of the economy, so things can become extremely simpler i do see however there is two cases um, there is a difference between if we're talking about already international you know big institution and those ones should i'm pretty sure the transfer is quite easy transfer of information uh, if there is a strong desire to do so and then um, smaller institution where maybe the knowledge is lacking in terms of um, what are those international standards and that may be the other recommendation that I would have for um, any government that is interested in developing the private sector is one is big firm but the other one is SMEs we know that they are the one that are going to be creating the jobs for those youth we just talked about and those one need to be supported because the international world may be quite new to them but they will need that investment to be able to grow and, and produce a job expected. Yeah, precisely, and that's what's actually vital for it to continue, is that investment. Yeah. And clearly, if if these if steps are made, and, and understanding the GCC nations, they, they would clearly be taking those steps accordingly, inshallah, as one would say. But where could the GCC then position itself then in the world as an investment hotspot? Should it actually implement these particular recommendations? And... On the caveat of that, do you feel there is the potential, while one is speaking about investment for the small and medium enterprises as indicated, could there be also potential social impact via investment opportunities then in the Gulf? Absolutely. So first of all, uh, it's not if, but 
when, because it's just a question of time, uh, every single one of the GCC country has its strategic roadmap and they will go there. The question is the time horizon and the sooner will be the best because there is very unique momentum. But it's not only a question of uh, sustainability in terms of environment, it's just that the model is not sustainable anymore, economically speaking. Um, the, 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 oil, uh, uh, the oil price is decreasing significantly, and so it's not meeting the, the, the minimum requirement for the current way of living to be sustainable. So, so there is a clear understanding, recognition in the region that the transition needs to happen, and there is slowly, uh, uh, not slowly, each country has different pace of adjustment uh, based on their uh, wealth and but there's the right steps are being made uh, in the right direction uh, and of course those right steps can only have an impact via on, on, on society why because whenever you change a structure from public jobs that were quite well paid and not, not automatically private sector hopefully uh, the salary will be competitive with expectation of uh, delivery, with, um, you know, opening to a lot of different profile, which include, you know, the gender profile and things like that. So that means you're empowering different parts of society. You're also empowering people that before maybe were not part of um, um, the wealthiest family, but now because it's a land of opportunity, uh, could grow and have unique opportunities that they would not have otherwise. So there is a social change always occur. The question is, is it the first step or is it one of the following steps to economic change? Economic change, and that's where investment kick in, is always positive because it helps, especially in the case of those countries, privatizing the economy and make it more, let's say, one could say, socially balanced. Where does the GCC fit, country fit into... Um, the investment landscape for investors, well, number one, um, investors that are willing to take some risk in Latin America, once those standards are met, should be also looking at GCC because it's a land of opportunity. As I said, there is a government locally and a lot of institutions can very much invest a lot and so provide seed money for major changes. But there is a lot of change that are needed in terms of infrastructure, in terms of healthcare that's gonna be privatized, in terms of um, school education also, which is a really good business. So once investors are reassured, it's not a question of whether or not people have not identified the GCC region as a land of opportunity. It's a significant piece of population that is young and that is not everywhere I mean, it's, it's a market with a lot of opportunities. The question is, right now, the profile may appear a little bit too risky for investment to dare to go there just because of this lack of um, automatically meeting international standards. Excellent. And of course, as you've indicated, it definitely is a land of opportunity, but also of innovation as the GCC mm -hmm. continues to demonstrate itself. And, and even your report as well, despite indicating that there is needs for improvement, I think we can all agree that we're optimistic that the improvement will be implemented because it really is a region that is trying to go forward for innovation, really changing as one thinks about uh, one can do. Well, Dr. Lopez, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the Global Podcast and really highlighting this particular moment. So thank you once again. Thank you very much, Rizzo. It was a pleasure. That brings us to the end of this edition of the Global Podcast. I'm Jesu Antonio Baez, Director of Pax Tech and Global Consultancy, which produces this series. Please do check out our website at www.paxtechandglobal.org 
That's P-A-X-T-E-C-U-M-G-L-O-B-A-L dot org to discover more about our work. You can also follow this podcast and the work of PAX on both Twitter and LinkedIn. And if you like this podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and of course subscribe on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Join us next week for another edition, and until next time, grazie e ci sentiamo presto. Ciao!